Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome back. This is Walk Through the Bible, week 26, and we are reading this week in the Daily Bible, what are pages 791 to 825, or the dates of June 25 through 30. Now, let me just set our review of what we read last week so we know where we are in our story. So in the northern kingdom of Israel, they just uh, lost their king, Jeroboam II, and it was really a highlight in the time of the history of the northern kingdom of Israel. They were very, very strong, very wealthy, prosperous. Everything looked really hunky-dory, as we say. But after Jeroboam dies, then for the next 20 years, the northern kingdom of Israel goes from one king to another and just spirals into a very, very fast decline uh, to their actual end. But let's think about this for a minute. If you're in the time of Jeroboam, and even though he has just died, things don't happen overnight. So it takes a number of years before the people themselves would see a large deterioration or a large change. You know, these things kind of sneak up on a nation. And um, so as this is beginning to take place, we have down in the south, in the kingdom of Judah, the rise of what is known as the greatest prophet to Israel, and this is Isaiah. His book is massive. And I mean, he gave so many prophecies and they're so amazing. It is such a rich book. It'd be wonderful if we could just take about eight weeks just to walk through the book of Isaiah. Uh, just absolutely amazing prophecies and a, an amazing prophet. Um, I want to just point out, if you were wanting to uh, just read through the book of Isaiah in your normal Bible, or even hear what we're doing in the daily Bible, reading it kind of chronologically, um, you know, what I want you to understand is these books of the prophets, so Isaiah, today we're also going to talk about Micah. The book wasn't about Isaiah or about Micah. The book wasn't necessarily written by Isaiah, but that was the prophecies given by Isaiah. So it's not like Isaiah sat down one day and said, I'm going to write a book. And he starts writing chapter 1, verse 1, and writes it so that you can just read through it and sort of follow a line of thought. No, these are many separate prophecies that the prophet Isaiah gave and they were later compiled into a book. And this is why when you're reading through, one prophecy may talk about judgment and about sin, and then it may talk about one day that God's going to restore them. And you think, oh, great. And then the next one starts, we're back about sin, and we're back about judgment. And then finally, we get to a little bit of hope that there's going to be restoration. And, and then the next one, we go back. So you have to realize these are like a sermon. 
Uh, you know, it's like a, pro a prophet was in a way kind of like a preacher. So these are different sermons, and therefore it may have a, a beginning and an ending point, and then it'll run right into the next one. And so that's why last week I said Isaiah is kind of like an orchestra, where you're constantly going back and forth between the winds and the string instruments and the percussion, a balance here of sin and of judgment and of hope of restoration. So uh, his book is just really amazing. And before I go on, I want to also mention the name Isaiah, which is a, a combination of the word for salvation, Yeshayahu is the way you pronounce it in Hebrew. And so the Yesha is about salvation or rescue. And then the Yahu is um, the name of God put in this conjunctive. So his name means salvation or God is my salvation or God's salvation. And truly that was his message. God was their salvation if they would just return to him. And uh, it's so amazing, these names and how that they actually bear the meaning of the person. So um, I want to start out with the calling of Isaiah that we read in Isaiah 6. It's, it's a portion of scripture we're all fairly familiar with. We've read it many times, and it's where Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord sitting on his throne. And it says that his train fills the temple. And uh, I just want to mention here that the word for train is the same word for him. So you and I, when we read this, we're thinking like a train on the dress of a, a wedding dress or on a queen's uh, dress, you know, a train that tells behind her. And it may very well actually mean that, but it. I want to just point out once again, it's talking about that hymn, the hymn of God, just like the priest had a special hymn, uh, the king had a special hymn, the people were told to put tassels on the hymns of their garments. Hymns were so important at the time of the Bible, and God's hymn is really probably the most amazing one, and it just filled the temple. It was a hymn of royalty. And um, so then it says that, you know, Isaiah cries out and, and he says, I'm, I'm unclean. And so the angels take a, a piece of the, uh, the burning coal and puts it at his mouth to cleanse his mouth. And, um, and then God tells him to go. And, and, uh, and Isaiah responds with, here am I, Lord, send me. So the Lord says, go. And you're going to go and speak to a people that will not hear and will not understand. And I always pause right here. Call to preach to a people that are not going to hear you or understand what you're telling them. What a calling. You know, I have to say in America today, we think that a successful calling on a person is one that they build a big, massive following and a big ministry and big staff and a large audience and millions of people following them and listening to them. To us, that's a successful call. 
That's a successful ministry, I should say. But here, in Isaiah's case, the successful call would be his faithfulness to proclaim the word of the Lord, knowing that it wasn't about success. It wasn't about people hearing or understanding or following him. It wasn't about him actually impacting the nation and bringing about change. It was about him proclaiming the word of the Lord. And I believe many times that we have a responsibility to speak up, not because we're going to garner this great following or we're going to have a great impact, but we have a spiritual responsibility to speak up and to speak what we know to be the truth. And that was the calling on Isaiah. It's a very appropriate calling for today and for the world in which we live in. Now, I want to make a note also about the call of Isaiah. In chapter 6, verse 1, it actually tells us exactly when this vision took place. And it says that it was in the year after the death of King Uzziah. We know that King Uzziah died in 739. And this tells us this was a very critical point in history. Why is that? Well, because starting in 740, and remember, before, before Christ, the numbers go backwards. So from 740, beginning in 740 to 738, right at this time, is when the Assyrian Empire under Tiglath-Pileser, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right or not, did their first military campaign into the West, into this area of the earth, the land of Israel. And so here when God is raising up the prophet Isaiah to speak to the southern kingdom, the end is beginning. This is the beginning of the end for the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, inside both the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah, where Isaiah is, there's great prosperity. They've just gone through the time of Jeroboam II, and in the south, the time of Uzziah, who was a king for a long time. It was a stable time. It was a good time. And so the people have enjoyed prosperity. They've enjoyed stability. They've enjoyed a period of, of peace. And so people at that point, you're going to have a prophet go and begin to proclaim to you that judgment is coming. Nobody's going to hear. And I'm afraid we have the same exact situation in the United States. Um, people do not want to hear when things are going well. It's like it's, it's impossible almost to hear. And then when things go wrong, and uh, right here in the United States, we might say that a lot of more people are opening their ears and they're actually talking about, is judgment coming? Um, but four years ago, three years ago, if you tried to say that, people would say, what are you talking about? Things are great now. It's really prosperous in America right now. The church is being given freedom. We've, we have more religious freedom than we've had in a long time as Christians. We have great things happening in our country. You're going to tell me judgment's coming? That's just an example of what Isaiah was sent into. 
He was sent into a time of history where they were not going to hear him. So now his message to the southern kingdom of Judah is all about their sins. And so this week we're reading uh, many of the scriptures about their sins. So let's just name a few of the sins. So that was righteous uh, religious formalism, injustice, idolatry, pride. Uh, He prophesied against their wicked leaders, and he prophesied against their haughty women. Now, you might have been wondering, what's the problem here with women? It's not about women. It's about these uh, wealthy women of leisure that were proud and haughty and uh, were not going to take his word uh, seriously. Um, He also preached against greed, against revelry, against arrogance, drunkenness, and even rationalization. And this is a a, a scripture that I think of often with the world that we live in today. And this is in Isaiah 5, verse 20. The prophet Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light. And this, my friends, is the world we live in, where we can no longer believe what we hear on the news. We can't hear what people are saying. We can't believe what people are saying because they're calling what's actually good. They're calling it evil. And they're calling what's evil as good. What a perfect description of our world. And of course, we read this week how that God got very anger, and it says that he was going to summon uh, destructive forces that were going to come. And I just want to make a note here, uh, because we're talking a lot in these last few sessions and and about judgment, about the judgment of God, and how he was going to use these foreign invaders to come in and carry out his his judgment. They were going to execute it. And I know that it sounds very harsh, and it sounds um, almost like um, it was um, indiscriminate, but that's not the case. And here in Isaiah this week, we read uh, in chapter 1, verses 17, he describes how that it says, Zion will be delivered with justice and her penitent ones with righteousness, but rebels and sinners will both be broken. So it's very clear here that if they repent, then they'll be saved. But this judgment is for those that are rebels and sinners that do not repent. Isaiah is also very clear that idols will not save them, and man will not save them. There's only one way of salvation, and that is through the Lord, as Isaiah's name tells us. Now, I want to take a minute and talk to you about Isaiah chapter 2, which is right at the beginning of his book, but such a powerful prophecy here of looking forward, of jumping ahead after all the judgment, everything he's going to be preaching about in his book. Here in the very beginning, he has this glorious vision of the restored Zion after all the judgment has taken place when the Lord brings his people back. 
So I want to read it to you quickly, starting with uh, chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Wow. Of course, I love this one because this is where we got the name of this podcast, that it says that the uh, word of the Lord will go from Jerusalem. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, we have another prophet at the very same time as the prophet Isaiah. So let's take a minute and talk about the prophet Micah. Micah is a much shorter book. Uh, Either they lost a lot of his prophecies or he just didn't prophesy as much as Isaiah did. But what's in uh, his book, his oracles, are actually very, very specific. And so Micah is known for his specificity in his prophecy. So he he specifically prophesies the fall of Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, about uh, Sennacherib's invasion of Judah, which we'll get to, I think, next week, the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, exile in Babylon, return from captivity, and then his amazing prophecies about the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem. So let's look at Micah. The, I want to talk about the, his vision about the coming Messiah. Uh, a lot of this history we'll be dealing with next week, but let's jump ahead to his vision about in the last days in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Very similar to Isaiah. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It'll be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So Micah is very, very similar, almost verbatim, to Isaiah. How did that happen? Well, we don't know, but I trust 
that the Lord was speaking the same through both of them. What a glorious vision of the future. What hope that must have given the exiles later on after everything fell, that they had these writings that they took with them into exile. What hope it would have filled their soul. But now his prophecies about the Messiah. And I want to say that uh, in my previous series called The 3D Jesus, part one and two of that series, I deal with about the birth of the Messiah. And I elaborate greatly on um, these prophecies and about Bethlehem and the whole setting there. We're not going to take the time to do that today, but if you're interested, we will link in today's show notes uh, to these two episodes. So you can listen to them uh, if you'd like to. But um, the, the famous prophecy from Micah 5 is, uh, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. So this is um, verses 2 and 3. It's this verse that the uh, rabbis, the Jewish sages, all taught that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This was very uh, widely accepted that this was referring to the Messiah because it says here clearly he'd be a ruler over Israel and his origins are of ancient times. Who would be born in Bethlehem whose origins are of ancient times except the Messiah, Jesus, who was God himself, of the ancient one, come down in the form of a baby. So now, of course, before all of these wonderful things will take place, God must defeat paganism amongst his people. And there's only one way that that's going to happen, and it's through judgment and it's through exile. Um, another interesting verse in Micah that I want to talk about is uh, Micah 6, 8. And you know, our young people are all really um, touting a philosophy and maybe a theology of social justice. And, um, you know, I'm not going to get into a whole analysis of social justice. It's really not a biblical concept. I'm for biblical justice. Social justice is a little bit of a communist um, ideology. But nevertheless, we all want to see justice in society, and we're all opposed to injustices in society. And what we see in all of these prophets, that the Lord is telling his people that if they would just obey his commandments, see, there would be righteousness and justice in society. But the injustice in society is because they're not following the Lord and they're not obeying his commandments. And here in Micah 6, verse 8, 
it kind of sums it all up, I think. It's a wonderful verse. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, or some translations say, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God is all about justice and mercy and just wants us to walk humbly with him and to care about others. So if your young people are turning against the Bible and against God because they have some idea that it allows for injustice, it doesn't. God loves justice, and his word and his commandments make for a very just society. So now let's uh, pick up our story. Let's go back to the northern kingdom of Israel. And as I said, it's now beginning to crumble. Uh, we're into a very fast spiraling down, and Assyria has moved in, and Assyria has already begun to take some of the land and take some of the people into captivity. They left the capital city of Samaria in place, uh, but now the kingdom of Israel is actually getting smaller and smaller, and it's getting weaker and weaker. In the south, we have a very sad moment of history when after King Uzziah, we have King Ahaz. And what does he do? <laughs> well, he starts burning incense on all the high places, worshiping the pagan gods. It says specifically he was burning sacrifices in the Valley of Hinnom and sacrificing his own children. Now, if you remember... The sin of Solomon was he began to worship the detestable god of the Ammonites, Molech. And Molech requires that you throw your children into the fire. It was a form of child sacrifice. And it uh, was by using fire. And a lot of that took place in the Valley of Hinnom. So it seems like this is referring to the worship of Molech and the sacrifice of children, of human sacrifice. It's just appalling to think um, that, that he would be doing this, but he did. And so Isaiah preaches to Ahaz in chapter 7, and he goes to Ahaz, and, and the Lord says this to Ahaz through Isaiah. It says, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So Isaiah says to him, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. So what is this talking about? Isaiah is saying God's going to give you a sign, Ahaz, and a young woman 
could be a virgin, is going to have a baby. And by, before this child knows how to choose between what's wrong and right, the king of Assyria and the king of Syria, no, I'm sorry, the king of Syria and the king of Israel will be defeated. At this point in our story, Syria and Israel have teamed up and they're coming against Judah in the south. And so God is saying, I'm going to give you a sign and it's going to be that before this child is old enough to even know right from wrong, they're going to be defeated. Now, this scripture has also been quoted as a messianic scripture about the virgin birth of Jesus. Jesus also was a sign to a generation, and he was born to a virgin mother. But it's very important that we understand the original context of this verse. And there is a little bit of debate over the meaning of the word virgin. Did it really mean virgin or just did it mean a young woman? But obviously here, if God is giving a sign and he's going to use the birth of a child to be the sign, then the birth of that child needs to be almost supernatural. And so it would have to be to a virgin for it to be a real sign of the Lord. Otherwise, it could just be any pregnancy, right? So the young woman here had to be of a pure young woman uh, for this to have any meaning. So I do believe it does mean virgin, and that's why it's been translated as virgin. And that's why it also has been used to apply uh, to Mary. Um, I want to uh, talk about a couple of other uh, messianic promises here in our last few minutes together in Isaiah. Um, moving forward to Isaiah 9 now, uh, 9 through 11, there's just some amazing, powerful prophecies about the birth of Jesus and uh, the coming of Messiah that I just want to mention quickly uh, as we bring today to a close. But in uh, chapter 9, it says that the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, the Galilee of the Gentiles, and um, it says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Well, the people of walking in darkness or the people here in the Galilee, in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, they were some of the first captives to be taken off to Assyria. And the Galilee of the Gentiles, there were already a lot of Gentile pagans living in the Galilee, but we're going to find out next week how that it becomes the Galilee of the Gentiles and, um, and so here Isaiah refers to it, but I'll save that for next week. But it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And a few verses later, it says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. You know that scripture well. You hear it every Christmas. Um, but what a powerful setting. He's saying here in the Galilee, the area that's walking in darkness right now is going to see a great light. It's no coincidence that the child that was born, even though the child was born in Bethlehem, as Micah said, ended up growing up in the Galilee. 
and later the bulk of his ministry and miracles all took place in the Galilee. And Isaiah is saying here, a light is going to shine onto the Galilee of the Gentiles because this child is going to be born and the throne of David. He's going to sit on the throne of David and the government is going to be on his shoulders. What an amazing prophecy. And then I just have to close today with talking about in chapter 11, verse 1, where it says that what's going to shoot forth is going to come forth a shoot, a branch from the trunk or the root of Jesse, a branch. The word is netzer. And, and you have to picture here uh, a trunk like an olive tree. An olive tree is a perfect depiction here. You can cut an olive tree down to the ground, but the roots will still be living. The roots underground are actually as big, if not bigger, than the tree itself above ground. So there's a lot of life in the roots, and you can cut the tree down to the ground but the roots are just going to put up a new branch and they're going to start a whole nother part of this tree from this root. What a perfect example here that even though the house of David was going to be cut down to the ground and taken into exile, it's going to look like it's all over, that this branch is going to shoot up from the root and it's going to have a whole new life. And in verse 10, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse, now Jesse is David's father. So it's the same thing as saying the root of David, but in here it says the root of Jesse. So let me start all over. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So when God reestablishes the house of David, it says the nations, that's you and me, the Gentiles are going to rally to it. That's Jesus. He is the one sitting on the throne of David and he's drawing the Gentiles, the nations unto himself and his resting place will be glorious. Enjoy your reading of Isaiah this week. Phenomenal book. We actually will be reading more of it next week and the following week. I want to say that next week, uh, well, in two weeks from now, we're going to have a special guest. We're going to do a Going Deeper series interview on the book of Isaiah with world-renowned Bible teacher Kay Arthur. So be looking for it. Um, and uh, also, I wanted to say that we have put a link in our resource, um, in our show notes this week to a resource. If you like studying the Hebrew names in the Bible, one of our listeners is an Israeli professor living here in the United States who has taught Bible for many years and he has just put together a book that's available on Amazon called The Names of the Bible. And so we're going to link to that book in Amazon. It's actually a very, very cheap book. It's uh, You have to get it as an e-book or a Kindle book. You can read it even if you don't have Kindle. 
It's, but it, you can buy it through Amazon. And um, it's a great little resource of all the Hebrew names in the Bible, how to pronounce them, how to spell them in Hebrew, and then their meaning in English. So take advantage of those resources. We will see you back here next week. And until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.